Welcome to Body Ecology Living Podcast. I'm very excited about today's talk. I think it's a talk that you're absolutely going to want to listen to, but also share with a lot of other people, because there's this big mystery right now where everybody's wondering what's going on with this new condition called the long haulers or long COVID. And it seems to be another pandemic that's come from having COVID, an enormous number of people who really didn't even get sick with COVID, maybe were completely asymptomatic, didn't even uh, have many symptoms, and all of a sudden now their life is pretty much ruined. So I have a lot of questions to ask Dr. Neil Gallen. I'd like for you to, first of all, know that his website is drgallen.com, and he has amazing information on there. It's the most comprehensive information I've found, and I'm always on top of this topic. Um, he talks about the, the virus, COVID virus, and what's really going on with the ACE receptor. You'll be surprised to learn that it's not what everybody thinks. And he also, um, you know, goes into long COVID and how to treat that. So, Dr. Gallen, I just want you to know that you're an amazing person. I've known about you for 30-something years because when I got started and was so sick myself um, and started helping people as I began to learn things, um, you were the doctor that whose name came up over and over and over again. So you were the first uh, part of a group to start functional medicine. So everybody that's listening, we are uh, in the presence of a real giant really so thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast well donna thanks for um, having me on to share what i've learned with your audience um i've been studying covid19 since january of 2020 when i realized this is going to be international it's not staying in china and um in march of 2020 when the receptor for the virus was identified as being a vital enzyme called ACE2, um, I realized that everything that I had learned about SARS, which was the, the virus, the human pathogenic virus that was closest to the virus causing COVID-19 was likely to apply to this virus. And that has really been borne out over um, the past uh, 19 months in my experience. Um, in understanding why people get sick and also in understanding the, um, the long-haul COVID syndrome. And COVID-19 itself is a, is a very complicated infection. The immune response to it in particular is very complicated. And that's one of the things that um, has made it um, it has just made it has made it challenging. Um, the the long COVID syndrome is turning out to be equally as complicated. Uh, there are multiple factors, and it's like peeling the layers away on an onion. Although there are, there are certain things that happen which are at the core of both COVID and long COVID. And well, could we start off because? I learned from your website, something I didn't know because the media certainly isn't telling us, and I really hadn't read it before, uh, about the ACE2 receptor that 
I knew about the gene. I actually am one of the many people who have a variant in that gene. Uh, I know it makes people salt sensitive, for example, and puts you at risk for hypotension if you don't take care of yourself. So um, this was really interesting when I heard that, you know, this virus was using this um, ACE2 receptor to get into the body. And it sounded like the ACE2 receptor was a bad guy. And from you, I learned that ACE2 receptor is really the victim, not the villain. So, um, and then you really have an amazing understanding. So if you don't mind starting there, just to give people a sense sure. of what we're talking about here. Right. So ACE2 is a vitally important enzyme for your health. It's present in many cells. Its effects are anti-inflammatory. It improves circulation. Um, it inhibits blood clotting. It enables recovery from very many types of stress and injury. Um, it, is, it is one of these counter-regulatory enzymes that you need when your body is under stress. Um, and it's especially important in, the, in, in blood vessels and in, regula and in the kidneys. Um, there's a lot of ACE2 in the nose. There's some in the lungs. Um, but even when there's not a lot of ACE2 present in a particular tissue, the effects of ACE2 activity really can enable healing in that tissue. So it enables recovery from um, uh, the acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is one of the things that kills people with COVID-19. Um, so the, um, the SARS virus, which was really scaring us in a, 2003, 2004, used ACE2 as a receptor. And the people studying SARS realized that one of the effects of SARS was that it would just deplete, it would kind of exhaust ACE2. And, and that you can, see the, you can see in the depletion of ACE2, the foundation for many of the complications. The same is true the same is true, true for COVID-19. The depletion of ACE2 permits blood clotting. It permits excessive inflammation. It um, interferes with the function of the lungs and the kidneys. And one of the characteristics of COVID-19, which is underappreciated is, although this virus enters the body as if it were a respiratory infection, like the flu, really has a very high affinity for blood vessels. I mean, it, and there are researchers who have looked at this who have said, this is really a vascular disease, a disease of blood vessels. And that explains so much of what we see. In fact, back in, I think in March of 2020, um, when New York had, was just becoming the epicenter globally for the pandemic, um, I did, um, uh, a series of radio interviews at that time. And I also communicated with doctors in various parts of the country. And one of the radio hosts asked me something that I had heard, which is uh, he was hearing rumors that people were really dying of heart disease, not of lung disease. And even if you get very sick with lung disease, it's the blood vessels in the lungs that are very strongly affected. 
Well, you know, Dr. William Lee, just to let everybody know, has actually done a lot of work. I know that you have your very connected um, on this whole vascular issue, his group. Um, he's made it very clear that there's even blood vessels, not only damaged, but missing oh, in yeah. some of these organs. Right. I, I had a long talk with Dr. Lee about a mutual patient uh, about 10 days ago. He and I absolutely see eye to eye. It was great talking with him. Um, and yes. And and what they dem what they were able to demonstrate was that there were loss of blood vessels in the lungs of people with COVID-19. And not only in people who were very sick, but in people with long COVID. Uh, and that some of the complications of long COVID are due to the, the loss of blood vessels. And I believe that has a lot to do with the loss of ACE2 and its downstream effects in the body. And that, and if you look at, if you look at what ACE2 does in a whole range of different conditions, it makes, it fits in perfectly. So well, um, you have um, got, I mean, okay, so back in 2000, when, when they first identified that the, this is a problem with ACE2 and the other SARS, um, you though have taken it really much further and have really looked at this ACE2 and have done what I haven't seen anywhere else. And that's have important suggestions on how to help this ACE2 receptor become stronger again. Right, because so it's weak, it, it's inhibited, it's in trouble, basically. So, so my goal, thank you for that, because that is really the heart of the work that I've done with it. Um, yeah, there have been a lot. There was a lot of speculation that if you have more ACE2, you're more susceptible to the virus. It isn't hasn't really been borne out, and in fact, measures that support an increase ACE2 are associated with better prognosis and better outcome. And the reason is that the level of ACE, ACE2 may be necessary for the virus to get into cells, but it's not really the determinant of who gets infected. Um, there, there is a backup enzyme called Tempris2, mm -hmm. and the efficient entry of the virus into cells requires ACE2 and Tempris2, and Tempris2 really destroys ACE2. The attachment of the viral spike protein starts the process of destroying ACE2, uh, at least in blood vessels. And that was demonstrated in work at Scripps. But Tempris2, which is only present in certain cells like the lining of the nose, for example, along with ACE2, uh, Tempris2 really enables the virus to get efficiently and quickly into, the, into your cells. It speeds up the rate of viral entry by about a hundredfold. So, the real problem is, is Tempris-2, not ACE-2, and finding ways to inhibit Tempris-2 is worthwhile. Inhibition of ACE-2 is a very dangerous process. You certainly, if you can find a way to inhibit the binding of the spike protein to ACE-2, that's good. But if you, if, if you, start inhibiting ACE2 activity over a period of time, long-term, especially in someone who's, um, who's infected with the virus, that's probably bad. And so my protocol for prevent, prevention and treatment started with trying to amplify ACE2 activity. 
Uh, it's not necessarily the number of molecules, it's the activity of those molecules. Uh, and among the things that do it are, um, first of all, diet and lifestyle factors, regular aerobic exercise, eating a diet that is high in um, polyphenols, in other words, a high fruit and vegetable diet. Um, and there was a, a fascinating study it done um, in six countries um, by researchers at Johns Hopkins, Columbia, Stanford, um, and they found, they looked at health professionals and they looked at the severity of COVID-19 and they looked at their diet in the year before COVID-19. And basically a 40% increase in the consumption of vegetables produced a 70% decrease in the likelihood that someone would have severe COVID as opposed to mild COVID. Now, when a drug comes out with statistics like that, this is like gonna save the world. It gets headlines all over the place. Um, and, um, you know, but this study from, by top researchers, which is pretty, pretty much buried. And, and this is probably, the media is probably one of our greatest enemies in this whole thing. Uh, there's also a study from England called a Phyto-V study. And all they did was give the people in the study that they had controls that didn't get it, or they just got a blank capsule. But in the capsule was just uh, powders, you know, like fruits and vegetables dehydrated and put in a capsule, basically. They, they got the, that and a probiotic and it had, the people in the group that got that were, I don't remember the exact percentage, but significantly lower um, and, and, and very mild symptoms compared to the group that didn't get the, uh, you know, the placebo group that got just the empty capsule or whatever they had in it. So um, there, there's finally more and more people are starting to look at this and do studies. I was really glad to see somebody even bothered to do a study because uh, I mean, you can't make money off of telling people to eat more fruits and vegetables, so you're not going to get that from the drug companies. But can you go back a little bit to the, so the ACE2 and the Tempers 2 where, um, so you said they're not together everywhere. Where are they together? Are they together well, in the together brain, in the lungs, heart? In, in the brain, in, the, in some of the lung cells. The highest co-concentration is in the nose. And that's why the nose is such an important site of entry for this virus into the body and why nasal sprays can be helpful at preventing infection. Um, of course, by the time you have long COVID, you're way past that, but they're also together in the intestines. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the Phyto-V study and the probiotic, because there is a really, there's a definite relationship between severity of COVID-19 and what happens in the gut. And in the gut, ACE2 has a very special function. It, um, it acts as a chaperone for the transport of amino acids into the body. The one that is most affected by the absence of ACE2 is tryptophan. Oh so you start, yeah. you start damaging ACE2, you can get a disturbance in tryptophan uptake that impairs the immune system in the GI tract. It decreases the production of proteins like alpha defensins that are important for uh, regulating um, infection in the gut and also for regulating the microbiome. And so as a result of COVID-19, there are long-term disturbances 
in the gut microbiome. Now, it is also likely, but not proven, that underlying disturbances in the microbiome impact how, um, how severe your infection will be. And many of the effects of, of let's say, the high fruit and vegetable diet um, in ameliorating COVID-19, some of them may be on ACE2 systemically, but some of it may be on uh, basically the composition of the gut microbiome because the phytochemicals, the, the polyphenols, uh, I think of them as curators of the microbiome. They regulate what kinds of organisms are gonna be growing in your gut. And there is pretty good data suggesting that the microbiome plays an important role in how sick you're gonna get. Now, when it comes to long COVID, that hasn't been looked at directly, but what we do know is that following COVID-19, that there are changes in the gut microbiome. This is probably due to many factors. Uh, it could be what you were treated with um, when you had COVID-19. It can, can also be the damage to ACE2 that's produced as a result of COVID-19. It may also be the persistence of the virus because once, uh, this has been well established that the virus can persist for many weeks and we don't know how long after in the GI tract, after it's cleared from the respiratory system. So, um, I mean, that's what I mean about the, the different layers and the complexity. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna add, you know, go back to the amino acid thing too, but also add while we're talking about the gut and remaining, uh, the virus remaining in the stool, I thought it was interesting. I'd never heard of this before until I read on your website that when, let's say that you're in a household and someone in the household has COVID and therefore they have this virus in the stool and everybody's sharing the same bathroom. So you had mentioned how important it is to actually put the toilet seat down and flush the toilet. And I thought, well, that is the first time I've heard that. But that's a really good tip because so people may not even think about that. You know, that person goes back to their bedroom. They were in the bathroom. Now you come in and use the bathroom and you are very much uh, exposed. So I thought that's just a little off to the side tip that I thought you was a great tip from you. But I wanted to talk more about these amino acids because, you know, in the gut, people don't think of amino acids being important. And I'm particularly interested in that the tryptophan one, but I know in a lot of children with autism, the um, tryptophan is going down another pathway called a chirinin pathway and causing quinolinic acid when there's inflammation in the body. Has anybody looked at that? Because there's a little bit of work with that. And certainly in, in any situation in which there's gut inflammation, tryptophan tends to be diverted that way. And now kynurenin is very, the effects in the gut are very complicated of kynurenin. Um, well, and we don't have actually, to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just curious. Like it started popping in my head when I started, um, well, when you mentioned tryptophan again, it popped in my head. So I just wanted to ask you that. But I also did want to say that um, fruits and vegetables, everybody says eat fruits and vegetables, but I don't think that, I wouldn't want them to run out and eat a lot of sweet fruits like bananas and mangoes and, you know, the really sugary ones, because there are issues going on in the gut, you are feeding pathogenic bacteria in the gut. So I think when you know, when we say that fruits and vegetables are good, it's important to clarify that you want low sugar 
uh, even in vegetables, if you bake a sweet potato, it gets very sweet. And if you grate it up and eat it raw in a salad, it's not sweet at all. So um, I, I just wanted to throw that in as something I never hear anybody talking about. Yeah. But but back to the amino acids, like they're even important for healing the gut, right? So would you recommend people actually take a amino acid supplement? Not Not necessarily. That's not at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. Just to run through what, so the first thing that I think of in terms of, okay, how do we protect from the effects of this is let's enhance ACE2 activity. And, and mm -hmm. by the way, that Hopkins study, it was the vegetables that made the difference. It wasn't the fruits. Okay. I'm glad you clarified but, that. It's yeah, important. Yeah, it, was, it was the vegetables. So, um, um, you know, let's, oh, so the supplements, let's say your gut is so wrecked by having had COVID-19, you can't eat the right diet. Mm -hmm. um, to because you with. get diarrhea. You mean yeah, every whatever. time you eat something, it goes right through you, for yeah. example. Right. Or you have abdominal pain. Mm -hmm. So there is a particular probiotic that I've been using for people who have COVID-19. Um, uh, it comes from Siberia, actually. Um, and it was developed in um, about 40 or 50 years ago there. It's a soil-derived organism that um, releases alpha interferon. And alpha interferon is a protein normally made in your body. The, the virus that causes COVID-19 is extremely sensitive to alpha interferon, and it's readily killed by it. But it has figured out how to turn off your production of alpha interferon. And loads of studies have shown that alpha interferon protects against COVID-19 and those people who get sickest are those who are unable to make it because of things that the virus does to you, not necessarily because your immune system is weak to begin with, but the way in which the virus plays with it and fools it um, and hides from it and or inactivates the interferon signaling. Um, so uh, this is a probiotic that I certainly have given to everyone who had GI symptoms, either associated with COVID-19 or long haul, let's say post-recovery symptoms, works great for diarrhea. Um, and um, it's called Tundrix, T-U-N-D-R-E-X. It's available in the US now. Um, a short course of it. It's not a long-term treatment, you know. Uh, well, is that subtilis, um, for example, you find subtilis in natto, you know, is it a different special strain that you're it's recommending? A special, it's a special strain of bacillus subtilis. Okay. And uh, one that actually was developed in order to produce alpha interferon. It was mm -hmm. developed by Soviet scientists to protect their troops in Afghanistan. And I first, Start, became aware of it and started using it through an interaction with a patient of mine, uh, who, a U.S. serviceman who had gotten sick in Afghanistan and had not recovered. And he came to see me to try and heal his gut. And he had a colleague who was a Russian uh, physicist who had emigrated to the U.S. who told him about this product. Mm -hmm. And so he tried it. It was really helpful. Um, they got interested in um, trying to make it available to other people. They got me a whole bunch of samples. And about three or four years ago, I started using it specifically with patients who 
had been treated for intestinal parasites and other pathogens and had not gotten better, or they, they were still really struggling. And I found that um, it made a significant, had a significant impact. So I was frankly excited to try it out in the context of COVID-19. It just made sense to me. And I've seen it really help with the GI symptoms of, of, um, of people who've had COVID or who were trying to recover from COVID. And then I had a um, conversation with an immunologist at UCLA, maybe a few weeks ago, a patient of mine with someone who was consulting me for long COVID. And one of the things I wanna say, by the way, is in terms of patients who have followed my COVID protocol, who are under my care, the incidence of long COVID has been really low in that group, maybe 2% compared to like 30% in, you know, in terms of what's reported in the general population. So I that, do that's really important for people to hear that because I think uh, maybe we're going to get COVID. I, I haven't gotten it myself that I know of, but uh, maybe I'm going to get it. But the scarier thing is you get over it, but it's what happens afterwards, maybe for right. years or the rest of your life. So you you want to prevent long COVID, which is why this interview is so important in your all of your research, everything you figured out from years of working with people. Uh, this I hope everybody heard that. But with the Tundrix, um, people should start on it now, not wait until they get the virus and get become a long hauler because you want the bacteria to this uh, subtilis to um, bacillus subtilis is what it is to build up in the gut. Right? Well, the way that I'm, the way that I'm using it, I'm, I'm not using it for prevention because I don't want people to stay on it for months oh, okay. or you know a year. Mm -hmm. um, if you get COVID. I, you know, I'm recommending to my patients that anyone who gets COVID takes it. And I'm putting the long COVID patients on it for a short while, even if they don't have COVID-19, because, um, because of this conversation I had with an immunologist at UCLA. As I was saying, somebody had contacted me with a severe case of long COVID, and um, she had actually gotten over it and then got some other virus and it flared up again. Mm -hmm. And she said that, that she'd consulted this immunologist who said that her belief was that the virus lingers in the GI tract, and then there's another viral infection or some other stress and it reactivates. So from that perspective, it made sense to me, let's just try and get this virus out of here. And there are no antiviral drugs that I know are gonna work. Um, um, so, let's use a very safe, well-tested probiotic for a short period of time, two to four weeks, um, just to, to establish a, a foundation. And the other aspect of the foundation are supplements that increase activity of ACE2. Number one, vitamin D. And of course, there's a lot of uh, literature on the beneficial effects of vitamin D in the in the pandemic um number two is curcumin which is you know extracted from turmeric and there actually have been, have been clinical trials with curcumin in the treatment of acute covid19 which have shown in hospitalized patients really significant effects as strong as any drug um, better than remdesivir for example 
Well, could you use that the, both of these as pre preventative? Should uh, you be yes. on them before? And also dosage. People are going to want to know how much per right. day. Right. Uh, the dose of curcumin I'm recommending, it may depend on the form that you use, um, but um, 1,000 milligrams a day roughly. Divided? Uh, yeah, usually twice a day with food. And, um, uh, and, and there, you know, there are forms of curcumin that um, are either liposomal um, or nano, um, mostly liposomal forms that enhance the delivery to tissues. So I'm basically recommending a liposomal curcumin in the range of, uh, for treatment, certainly a thousand milligrams a day for prevention over a long period of time, maybe 500. It does get concentrated in tissues. It stores up in the body um, and resveratrol. And the dose of resveratrol that I'm recommending is 600 to 1200 milligrams a day, both for prevention and treatment. And resveratrol- Would you repeat all that? Like the um, sure. vitamin D, resveratrol, curcumin, and there's one more. Um, well, those are, the, those are the three basic ones. There, there okay. are a lot of others that may be useful. Um, uh, one of the others is rosmarinic acid, which is found in a number of herbs and spices um, and, um, and certain vegetables. And that also enhances ACE2 activity. So vitamin D at a dose, typically 2000 to 5000 units a day taken with your main meal because it's absorbed best with your main, with your largest meal. Um, I want a blood level. Fat rate soluble, 50. some fat in the meal. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, needs to be some fat in the meal. Um, and it can be with vitamin K. Um, I often like that combination of K2 and D3. Um, and there was a study indicating that people with low vitamin K get sicker when they have COVID, when they're hospitalized with COVID-19. Um, curcumin <laughs> as a liposomal, uh, product 500 to 1000 milligrams a day. If you're sick, higher doses, resveratrol. Um, it could be liposomal if you can get it that way. There's a liquid that I give to kids, liposomal curcumin and resveratrol. But, um, uh, but, but even if it's not, it is well absorbed. And the longer you're on these, the better, because, um, because only small amounts of active product actually get to your tissues, and but they stay there. Hmm. And, uh, and, and then if someone is sick, I will definitely push those, those. And I've seen some really impressive responses. And as I said, I've seen um, with for curcumin randomized controlled trials from India and Iran showing significant benefits for people who actually have COVID-19. You know, I want to uh, stress too that children need it, need vitamin D in particular, uh, even a newborn baby, they recommend a thousand milligrams. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's some genes, like the transporter genes, for example, that don't get, COVID, uh, don't get vitamin D into the cell. So would you, I know the person most likely doesn't know that, but um, I have seen, you know, had people tell me that they got their vitamin D tested and they're taking it and it's not going up. 
so increasing to that healthy range where you want your chest to say at least over 50, 60 or so. And so um, I, I, I wondered about this for a long time. And then when I found out about vitamin D genes and the transporter genes in particular, it made me think that this recommendation to take vitamin D really kind of needs to be ideally personalized. You know, people yeah, may it, need it, more. It certainly the dose needs to be personalized. One mm -hmm. of the That's effects I mean, of yeah. Resveratrol increases the sensitivity of the vitamin D receptor. So you don't necessarily need as much vitamin D to get the same effect if you're and also then, taking resveratrol. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. The um, Also, you know, vitamin A needs to be, to me, vitamin A and D go together because in food like, like egg yolks, for example, and uh, uh, cod liver oil and so on. You, when you find D, you find A together. And, um, you know, I've heard um, a Chris Mestergen, for example, has a lot of research on this, a lot of teaching about it. So um, I also tell people that they want to take A and D uh, foods too. So um, well, I I if you disagree. I check the vitamin A level on almost all of my patients. Um, the one concern about vitamin A is there's a potential for liver toxicity if you take too much. So, and um, so, but low vitamin A levels definitely associated with increased susceptibility to viral infection, immune impairment, and worse outcomes with COVID-19. So um, yeah, there may be some value to using A along with D. Now, well, I'd like to see more research done on that because of, quite a while ago, I um, heard, read some research on how vitamin A is missing when someone has a lung infection, it's persistent, like a cough that goes on and on and on. And uh, then, and then going for a short period of time on a higher dose of vitamin A, uh, got, the person got over that pretty fast. So I, I wish there was so much to research on this, but I just, uh, I mean, thanks for saying that. And I, I cut you off about the resveratrol. That's what people know as being an anti-aging uh, molecule that's in wine, but it has many other, it has other value too. Cause do you want to, could you mention resveratrol, well, a little bit more yeah, about resveratrol? Sure. Resveratrol is anti-inflammatory and its effects on ACE2 are actually really clinically meaningful. That is, this is mostly through animal studies, but the effects of giving resveratrol to laboratory animals, when you look at the blood vessels, for example, is very much the same effect, the same protective effects that you get from ACE2. That is, it prevents wow. um, aneurysms in the aorta. And so I think it's very likely that the enhancement of ACE2 activity that's caused by resveratrol is not just some number in a laboratory, that it actually is meaningful in terms of health outcomes. No, well, no and one of the other things that resveratrol does, separate from COVID-19, it decreases the production of a toxic substance by gut bacteria. Wow. Uh, and th they, this is a whole other area. There is a substance called TMAO, trimethylamine oh, yeah. oxide. Mm -hmm. It's gotten a lot of press in certain circles because of research at the Cleveland Clinic which found that elevated TMAO was associated with heart attacks and with strokes. TMAO is toxic to blood vessels. It um, increases blood clotting. And um, the bacterial population of your gut produces 
the precursor of TMAO, which is TMA. And TMA in your liver is turned into TMAO. Resveratrol inhibits the production of TMA by gut bacteria. So, and it is now possible to commercially test for TMAO levels. Quest does that test. I order that in a lot of my patients. And 99% of the time, if it's elevated, without changing their diet, if you put them on resveratrol, oh, that's amazing. Down. And, and the issue with diet is some people need to eat a high protein mm -hmm. diet and, and it's the high protein foods that, that are the precursors of TMA. So resveratrol is helpful there. Um, is it because, I mean, my when that first came out, I thought, wow, this is not good for people that are on a high protein diet um, or just on protein, period. It doesn't even have to be high protein because people need it. And so, uh, but then, I, you know, I have an advanced fellowship from A4M and took a bunch of other modules and everything. And I remember that coming up because that's when it was announced uh, to the world. And uh, it was like, oh, no, what do we do? Carnitine is supposed to be bad, and yet you need carnitine for getting fat into your cells and so on and so. But it looks like from when I started really digging into it, it really has to do with a dysbiotic gut, like bad bacteria in the gut are causing that, where if you don't have, if you have a healthy gut, I personally am a big fan of fermented vegetables, which I'd like to talk about a little bit. And um, and so you've got all these incredible beneficial bacteria that are gonna, even if you're eating the protein, you know, at that together, which I do all the time, um, that's that's a great way to deal with that, uh, how to deal with the TAMO problem. It's not the bigger problem to me, but I'm glad you brought it up. And it's interesting you test for it. Uh, yeah, well, definitely. The TMAO is a reflection of gut dysbiosis and resveratrol can be part of the solution to that dysbiosis. I mean, resveratrol has a number of other effects on bacteria. It dec decreases the production of staph toxins. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-purpose um, protective substance that, um, that I find useful in many different clinical situations. And I was never excited about it for anti-aging. I mean, what it, mm. the best anti-aging is the healthy diet and exercise. I mean, I, I'm not big on supplements for anti-aging. I think I see that as a lifestyle issue, but, um, but, but resveratrol has a lot of different uh, functions that are useful. So when it comes to long COVID, my, um, the, my first approach is let's do the, um, the Bacillus subtilis tundrix to make sure that we've dealt with the virus in the gut as well as we can. Um, let's use, let, let's make sure that vitamin D, curcumin and resveratrol, if they're tolerated, not everybody can take them. Some people might get an upset stomach or heartburn or you know, or something else from supplements, but let's make sure that's part of the, um, the therapeutic cocktail to enhance ACE2 activity. And, um, and then I start looking beyond, beyond that. Um, one question that I had, which may have been answered from research that came out of the University of Arkansas a few weeks ago, after I See, I posted a video about this on YouTube in June. 
it reflected all of my research over like 18 months on COVID-19 and about a year's research into long COVID since that started to be looked at more. Um, and I, I tried to, it's about an hour long video that tries to put that in a form that's useful to people. Mm -hmm. um, the, it's called Healing Long COVID. One of the questions that I couldn't really quite figure out is, why is it that some people don't get very sick with COVID, but then they get long COVID, and yet the manifestations of long COVID often involve ACE2 deficit. So what is happening? Why do they get, why do they get through COVID so easily and then get hit so hard a few weeks later with long COVID? And um, what the, one of the things that happens with COVID-19 is there is a very high rate of production of autoantibodies. That is the Just immune response to COVID-19. As you know, that puts, creates, kind of it's like the smoke from the fire. It creates a lot of autoantibodies that are directed against your own tissues. And many of these are functional and they, and a lot of the complications, especially with long COVID, may be due to autoantibodies. Well, a group from the University of Arkansas demonstrated that about 70% of people with COVID wind up making antibodies to ACE2, autoantibodies to ACE2. And the, the creation of these autoantibodies seems to correlate with the creation of the spike proteins, of the spike protein antibodies. And uh, and so they invoked um, an explanation for this that's very complicated, but I'll, I'll try to make it clear. When you make an antibody to something, let's say you make an antibody to the spike protein, that antibody can serve as an antigen for another antibody. Um, in other words, you can get an antibody that is directed against some component of the first antibody that you made. And these antibodies, which are called anti-idiotypic antibodies, are actually thought to be mostly protective, but not always. And you can get, and then you can get antibodies to the next antibody. And it's kind of like if you're holding up two mirrors, one in each hand, um, you can angle the mirror so that there's this endless series of mirrors, one inside the other. It's kind of the same phenomenon. These are called immune networks, and they're a little bit chaotic, just as the endless series of mirrors might be. So they may be protective, but they may be harmful. And um, these researchers, one of the observations that's been made is that some people with COVID-19, long haulers, get better after immunization, after mm -hmm. the vaccine. And I mean, I've seen that in about... I don't know, half a dozen patients who dramatic improvement in their long haul symptoms um, within a few days of getting um, one of the uh, COVID vaccines. Um, how do we explain that? Well, the impact of that on these immune networks and the way that that, that might balance the immune networks, that would be an explanation. Now, I've seen almost as many people who got really sick after the vaccine, that is long haulers, 
who then got vaccinated. And I think it just has to do with the chaotic nature of this, of this system. If you're actually increasing these, um, the, these components in these immune networks, the anti-anti-idiotypic antibody, you know, the, the mirror within a mirror phenomenon, yeah, maybe it's gonna help, maybe it's gonna hurt. So uh, I looked for ways to try and ask you that. Deal with this what do we do for that? That's what really an important helpful? finding. Right. What would be helpful? Now, in conventional medicine, this phenomenon is known and um, does occur in certain autoimmune diseases. It's treated with intravenous gamma globulin. Well, that's a pretty invasive treatment. So it's not at the top of my list for ways to improve that. And also high doses of steroids are used. Also not at the top of my list. <laughs> Um, uh, what is it, what I, and, and I spoke to some really top immunologists about it. Nobody really had a clue. So what I came up with were proteolytic enzymes. Um, proteolytic enzyme therapy has been used to combat inflammation. The one that's been around the longest is our wo enzymes from Germany. And they're the ones I've kind of used the most. You have to take them on an empty stomach because um, you don't want them digesting food. You want them, if you take them on an empty stomach with a large glass of water, they actually are absorbed systemically. But you could maybe use natokinase or serapeptase or one of the other proteolytic enzymes. I just have had the best results historically using Wob enzymes. So that's what I've been advocating. And once I learned that, I read, just read that the other day from you. We, we have uh, digestive enzymes that are pancreatin with all those enzymes. And so I started taking five, three times a day because that's what Nicholas uh, Gonzalez did in his pancreatic cancer program. And I it's kind of forgotten. And so I thought that was brilliant that you brought that back out. And, and this is so important. One of the questions I was gonna ask you is long haulers, the new autoimmune condition and you're basically explaining yes it is but it's really even maybe more complicated than the normal autoimmune condition so i'm hoping that people replay this part of our talk and i am 100 certain that even your brightest best functional medicine doctors do not know this so it's important to get it out i'm very grateful that you're taking the time for us to talk here but um this what you're just saying right now is super important i think and hopefully people will hear it again um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep right, interrupting so, so you. I'm, so I am using, certainly in anybody in whom it seems to me that ACE2 deficiency is what's ongoing, I am starting to work with Wovenzymes. Um, the idea is to break up these immune networks and antigen antibody complexes. How much uh, to take of that, though? Because I just know from the um, Gonzalez well, You know, three to five pills. I've been using it twice a day. It could be three times but it needs to be on an empty stomach mm -hmm. with a large glass of water. And it isn't harmful to take more. It's not gonna hurt you, do you think? Well, the only concern is some people, you know, proteases are pretty strong. And so if you have inflammation in your stomach, the proteases might aggravate it. Mm. Uh, so I'm very- So if you had like a ulcer, you're saying- An ulcer, it's right. Clear. People have had ulcers and I, I don't put them on, um, or gastritis, Mm -hmm. I, I'm extremely cautious mm -hmm. about putting any of them on proteolytic HCL. enzymes. And HCL too, right? And, and also, sure, yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. you know, sometimes they benefit, but, but it has to be done under careful supervision. This is not something 
to do yourself. Now, the next, um, the next layer looks at, okay, what's going on in this person? Is there evidence of neuropathy? Is there evidence to suggest mitochondrial dysfunction? Is there next question was about that. <laughs> this is perfect. Um, because when people, everybody will identify with this because when people start to feel sick, you know, um, from everything I've read, it's about a day and a half when the virus is actually replicating inside of you before you start to feel the first symptoms, which is usually fatigue. And the long haulers have a huge problem with fatigue. So I wanted you to, if you would, go more into, uh, into the mitochondria. Are they they're damaged by the virus? The, what's been show, demonstrated actually, yeah, there is mitochondrial distress that has been seen after recovery from COVID-19. Um, and, um, and the damage to ACE2 has been shown to produce mitochondrial distress. This was in a study, um, use, I mean, this was in a study from Scripps actually. And, um, uh, and in a study from the UK, there was evidence that just people who were recovering from COVID-19, if you looked at their blood, they had evidence of mitochondrial distress. The mitochondria had taken a hit and were trying to recover. So um, there are a number of different mitochondrial recovery programs. Um, in looking through the, the um, literature of clinical trials that are placebo controlled, high quality, um, the number one substance that comes up is coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 has the best track record for mitochondrial rescue of any supplement. Um, you need a high dose. You need 300, 400 milligrams a day, and you need to take it spread out through the day. Um, 100 milligrams won't work. Do you like the um, <clears throat> form, ubiquinol? Yes, yeah. Generally, you need a little bit less ubiquinol if you're using that form than ubiquinone, and that is the form that I use. So... Um, Aside from that, beyond that, there are a number of other things that may be helpful for mitochondrial recovery. Carnitine in its different forms, acetylcarnitine or propionyl-L-carnitine. Niacin, especially combined with NAC, uh, supports and drives mitochondrial complex one. Um, assuming that it's, the mitochondria have several enzyme complexes that are involved in generating energy. Mm -hmm. Um, so glutathione is very protective of mitochondrial complex one. Um, and I think some of the benefits that people get from uh, oral or intravenous glutathione is due to that. And in, in this NAC, let's say you can't get glutathione, you can't afford it, or you can't go to get IV glutathione. Do you think NAC, the precursor to sure. glutathione and is okay? NAC is a, is a really good choice. And the combination of niacin and NAC has been shown to support that function. And how um, about magnesium? Magnesium is important across the board for energy production. And so, yeah, I always look at magnesium status in everyone I'm treating. And um, B vitamins, alpha lipoic acid, do you use yeah, any of those? Yeah, yeah. so I use, um, I'm, foc I'm using the alpha lipoic acid mostly for the nervous system. And I use it for two purposes. One, uh, because alpha lipoic acid actually helps the recovery of ACE2 activity in the brain. So anyone, and, and it's useful for the treatment of, of peripheral neuropathies. 
So anyone who has a neuropathy as a result of COVID-19, including the POTS syndrome, I will go to alpha lipoic acid, often combined with essential fatty acids. If we're looking at peripheral neuropathies, GLA has been shown to be synergistic with alpha lipoic acid. In the brain for cognitive function, the omega-3s and alpha lipoic acid are synergistic. Like um, when you say GLA, you mean like borage oil? Borage oil, seed oil. Yeah, or evening primrose oil. Evening, yeah. um, and there the dose for alpha lipoic acid in the peripheral nerves is about 600 milligrams a day. The, the GLA, um, about 450 milligrams a day. Uh, I may combine that with B vitamins, uh, sometimes even with NAC and, um, and um, lion's mane, which is mm -hmm. a mushroom, has mm -hmm. protective effects and both for peripheral nerves and for the brain. So, um, uh, but, but for cognitive function, I particularly um, push the omega-3s, uh, 2000 milligrams a day of EPA plus DHA, that combination. Not 2,000 a day of total omega-3s, but 2,000 a day of those particular omega-3s. Well, you know, we didn't talk about the gut-brain connection. We haven't talked too much about the brain, but memory loss is one of the scariest, most frustrating things I think people deal with when they're long haulers. Mm -hmm. Can we yeah, talk about yeah. the brain and the gut-brain and any of that? Well, there's this amazing. Like what's why? Why the brain? What is does the brain have ACE2 receptors? How come it? How does the brain get into the picture of long haulers? That, I mean, we spend an hour talking about that, but just briefly, <laughs> butyrate produced by gut microbial fermentation. The microbes produce butyrate by fermenting fiber, and you may get it from fermented foods, which I know are your favorites. Um, Butyrate is absorbed systemically and it gets into the brain. And in the brain, butyrate increases the production of a substance called BDNF or brain-derived neurotropic factor, which plays a really important role in the recovery from injury. And this virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, gets into the brain, it kills nerve cells, it creates inflammation in the brain. It interferes with the circulation in the brain. So you need recovery of brain cells. BDNF is very important. Butyrate from a healthy gut microbiome or by prebiotic supplementation or supplementation with butyrate itself um, can play an important role. There are two uh, companies. Uh, Body Bio has a butyrate supplement and also the Tesseract company right. has one yeah. too so you know again some people are, they're not going to heal their gut right away and they maybe need the sodium right and the, right the away important, the important thing here is you don't necessarily need a delayed release butyrate to get to the colon if you're trying to heal the colon you want a butyrate that's going to get there mm -hmm. but since you're trying to heal the brain with butyrate it doesn't you could use sodium butyrate it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a special preparation it's fine if it's absorbed in the small bowel. You want it to get, you know, you want mm -hmm. it to get into the into the circulation and up to the brain. Are you but referring you to like tributyrate, which is in the you know supposed to be uh, the butyrate that gets down into the colon? That's good to right. know. Right, so, but, but you don't, it's you don't okay have to, to take a normal. With, you yeah. don't have to go with a more expensive product like that to get uh -huh. butyrate to your brain, uh -huh. and you can use fiber. 
and you can use prebiotics. Uh, and for and by the way, fermented foods have all of that. Yes, <laughs> I'd do. like to talk about diet, but one more really quick question because I know we're running out of time. Testing. Do you have a certain group of tests that you have all your long haulers absolutely positively do, like vitamin D, for example, homocysteine, oh, anything like oh, that? Oh, sure. I, I mean, I look at all of the things in long haulers that I look would look at in, um, you know, in Everybody. any sick patient that's oh. coming to see me. Um, yeah, I'll definitely look at vitamin D, magnesium, um, selenium, um, homocysteine, because uh, that could be a factor for the heart, why people are, uh, you know, getting a heart problem. Their their methionine cycle could be off, and right, and and it's a good I've, index I've of, of, that. of folate and folate status. And I might look at methylmalonic acid as an index of B12 status. Mm -hmm. um, I might measure coenzyme Q10, or just assume that it's off. Uh, I'll uh, often look at urine organic acids because that tells me a lot of information about how. Um, mitochondria are performing. I will do stool tests. One of the characteristics, because I want to see what, what's the balance of bacteria like. Is there a yeast overgrowth? Yeast overgrowth is a complication of COVID-19. Um, Why do you think that is? That's so important. I, I learned, I, I suspected that. And then I absolutely read it on your site and I was so excited. Why? Because the, what I'm thinking is, you know, people come along and they say, I was perfectly healthy, then I got COVID, I didn't get a bad case, but now I'm really sick. And I'm thinking, were you really healthy? You know, people have this, I mean, people tell me all the time, oh, I'm on a healthy diet, and then I ask them what they're eating, and they're not at all. Or I am healthy, and yet they get ye reoccurring yeast infections, herpes outbreaks, um, gut dysbiosis, that they're not putting in that pot that says I'm they say I'm healthy and they're not really healthy and I think I'm wondering if the virus just doesn't kind of reactivate everything so what you said about how it reactivates yeast I think is an important clue oh it certainly can just like any other virus actually that I don't think is one of the unique features of COVID-19 I mean there are unique features to COVID but like any other virus it can reactivate underlying problems and I I totally agree with you that I I see patients who say, yeah, I didn't have any medical problems. When you start really talking to them, they actually had a lot of medical problems, some of mm -hmm. which they were even treating with drugs, but they never mm -hmm. thought that that meant that, you know, that they had a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but I have seen people that I think were really healthy prior to COVID. Um, and, and I, you know, I try to figure out what are the mechanisms, what was going on here? Um, and, you know, in one case, there probably was an underlying omega-3 deficiency mm. for years. Um, it just hadn't, the stress test hadn't been done. COVID is a stress test. Mm -hmm. right. and, and so maybe you're, you're, you're going along and you're doing fine till you get the COVID stress. Um, and, and for other people, there, there may be something genetic. That, that wasn't yeah, then nobody that. seems to be looking at that quite yet. But for sure, the immune system is suppressed. I mean, it's overwhelmed trying to deal with a virus. It can let other things out too, like Epstein-Barr herpes, which so many people have anyway. And so I feel like, you know, that that's not coming out enough is that, that you're reactivating but things. And one that didn't seem to be a problem. Done, there was one study that looked at antibodies to Epstein-Barr virus in people mm -hmm. with long COVID and a controlled population. And 
that 75, 80% of the population with long COVID had an antibody profile that would suggest reactivation of EBV. Mm. Now, that was one study, it was, you know, it was maybe 30 people. That hasn't been my experience, but it certainly is something that, that can occur. Um, the yeast overgrowth, I think, is due to the um, dysbiosis, the bacterial dysbiosis that occurs, some of which is the result of the ACE2 deficit in the gut and the impaired immune response. And, and then there are the drugs that people get. You know, I mean, especially early in the pandemic, there were a lot yeah, of antibiotics, antibiotics being thrown around, and that'll that will aggravate the dysbiosis mm -hmm. of COVID. -19. So the yeast infections more in the gut versus the systemically in the blood. Well, they just demonstrated that there was an increased growth of fungi, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. including not only Candida albicans but Candida auris, which is a mm -hmm. really scary pathogenic yeast. So mm -hmm. yeah, so I will test I will test stool looking for yeast. I will test stool looking for the balance of gut bacteria. Certain bacteria seem to be associated with a worse outcome, Enterococcus fecalis, which is a major stimulator of gamma interferon and sometimes used as a probiotic, actually makes things worse with COVID-19. Fecalobacterium prausnitzi, which is a, um, an anti-inflammatory butyrate producing bacterium uh, and one of the keystone species in, in the microbiome uh, seems to make things better. Uh, so, and, uh, and I mean, can I add right here? Literally have an entire folder right here of lactobacillus, fermented foods, even a study not done too long ago, uh, Japanese, they have a pickle or fermented uh, turnip over there. And the lactobacillus, um, it's the brevis. You know, they, right. they isolated it and they found it, gave it to school children and they didn't get the flu. So this is just the flu, but right. there's no doubt. I mean, I have a lot of research. I want to present this more to the world, how important yeah. these fermented foods are preventive, you know, to prevent, mm -hmm. to create a healthy right. gut. Do you recommend fermented uh, vegetables? They're the best, really. Uh, well, really. Yeah, fermented vegetables can be really useful. I recommend them to some people. I have so many patients with food intolerances that I have to really, it's like picking your way through a minefield, <laughs> making dietary recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. The information that you shared is, well, first of all, really needs to get out in the world. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, all of us, and I'm gonna do my best to get this information out. But uh, I want everybody to go to drgallon.com and keep up on whatever else Dr. Gallon is gonna dig up here for us. Um, Obviously, he's not going to quit for, until we have this great understanding of this long haulers and COVID situation. So, Dr. Gallen, thank you very much. Thanks for speaking with me today, Donna. It was a pleasure. Bye. Bye.